Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for coming to Harlem. Just a little north of Hell's Kitchen. Significantly north, but you know, or I mean, it's all relative, but yeah, north. It, it is all relative. I mean, there's really no north in space. space. Um, but you just heard Tony Sindelar is with us. Hello, nerds. I don't even wait to be introduced, except when I do. That's right. He, he just goes right on in. He's ready to go. Well, and geography, there's... space, these are things I'm ready to talk about. Also, Luke Cage. <laughs> so. There we go. You know. And, and, and even deeper uh, to the uh, east or west, whichever way you want to go, because you can go both ways, um, is James Thompson. See, I, I wait. I follow podcast protocol, and I don't speak until I'm introduced. But I have a feeling that we're, we're not in Hell's Kitchen anymore. No, this is this is a, a completely new territory to explore with Luke Cage, the the beauty of Harlem, and gentlemen, just to get out of the way, let's just quickly talk about our experience with Luke Cage uh, as before we saw the show, and I, I can only say for myself, I know him as the sidekick, Power Man, and Iron Fist. That's all I ever knew him as, and I didn't really read those comics very much. But I'm enthralled with this character and the way it's been presented on screen. Gents? Yeah, I had no experience. I mean, I probably, to be honest, didn't even know about um, Power Man and Iron Fist. It just had not entered my consciousness. Um, So Jessica Jones was really... Uh, the TV series was my introduction to Luke Cage. Uh, I think I had seen, you know, some small appearances of him in other Marvel comics that I'd read. Uh, I think he appeared in some Iron Fist that I read. Uh, I don't remember if he ever appeared in any Daredevil that I read, but uh, definitely I, I was not that deep. I'm not that deeply read on the Marvel side of things. And so, uh, like, I know he's a guy. I know he's super tough. I know he usually wears, like, a yellow yellow shirt with a plunging neckline. Um <laughs> Sometimes he has kind of a tiara kind of hat thing. That, yeah, 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 yeah. So, uh, you know, and I know he's another one of these, like, uh, he's, here's your local neighborhood superhero, right? He's dealing with, he's dealing with crime. He's not dealing with space invaders uh, unless they, you know, they go to Harlem. Yeah, I, I was really thrown back because this guy is, like, you know, we, we, we really kind of delved into Daredevil being a street-level guy. And this guy is is almost I hesitate to say deeper than on the street level. I mean, he is literally um, doing things unmasked, but he scratches an itch that I was very interested in, which was I, and I didn't realize that he was a part of this just by doing a little bit of you know Wikipedia research, as you do um, the the black exploitation genre. Um, and for me, I was very in, very into Shaft. I had gotten to talk to Gordon Parks very long time ago when I was in high school, and I was immediately kind of thrown into that world of uh, Shaft, and I, I thought he was one of the coolest heroes ever created. And I didn't think that there was another a comic book character that was quite like it and they've taken this uh character and really brought it onto that that kind of shaft level but without being exploitative about it and i think um am i right that shaft was uh 71 and i think this is luke cage was 72 for the first uh comics mm-hmm. i think so you're it's, right it's, it's definitely of that era right yeah yeah so let's talk about the reluctant hero at episode one. So, I mean, do we want to say anything generally um, kicking off, like sort of, because um, the thing that gets me, I mean, about this series is the the musical nature of it oh. to a certain extent. Uh, I mean, it's like, it's the most musical of the Marvel series that we've had so far. And it's pretty much a lesson in East Coast hip hop. Uh, and yeah, it's like the, just throughout the whole show, music is such an important aspect of it. Uh, and that, that really uh, appealed to me. 
I was not expecting the 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 musicality of it at all. I thought, you know, when they I saw the promo trailer with um Shimmy Shimmy Yaw from Old Dirty Bastard and that cut in to uh a Luke Cage spot. I thought, well, I mean it's really cool, but you know, it's not something that we're gonna see. It's just gonna be kind of the prototypical, you know, a, a little bit of kind of fun music and this this is almost like borderlines on kind of like Empire, if you've seen that, um, where music, it's not that the show's about music, but it's deeply ingrained, especially with our boy Cottonmouth's establishment, which is a, you know, a bar that, that has these musical outlets and live people playing. I, yeah. yeah. And all, all, the, uh, all the musicians are real musicians as well. Like uh, the, the the singer who was in the second episode was Faith Evans, who was married to Biggie Smalls, whose photos hanging in Cottonmouth's office. So you know it, it's it goes pretty deep. I think I was just I was really grabbed right away from the from the promos and even from the first episode with how much stronger like a sense of place uh luke cage does and like th- this show has really pulled me in like a lot faster than i would say uh daredevil yeah. uh did uh and it, it really kind of uh you know i like daredevil when i saw it but and i think it does a lot of things really well but uh this show just pulls you in uh, and it has i think part of it is like there's a lot of interesting characters uh in it that you're gonna you're yes. gonna meet slowly, and again, I've I've only seen a handful of episodes, right? I'm I'm really looking forward to seeing more, and uh, you know, I assume they're characters I haven't met yet, uh, in a way that the other uh, that that Daredevil especially really kind of doesn't. I mean, I guess you know, Daredevil is just so focused on 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 Matt and you know his his little law practice, um, and it just kind of feels like kind of generic New York neighborhood, and some of that is that like. Hell's Kitchen doesn't to- Hell's Kitchen basically doesn't exist anymore. Harlem is still a place even though these are fictional representations of of both of those places uh but i i think just i i was really pulled into the the way they uh they they show the place and the uh, the amount of other characters that are interesting and have lives uh in in this you know then this kind of neighborhood drama uh and i am i am i am even though i think it you know daredevil starts to look not as um as, as impressive you know it had to come first um and it, I think one of the things that Marvel has done really well here, and you know, kind of mirroring the way they do what they sometimes do in the movies, is we have these different shows that are all set in Manhattan, um, but they are very different types of shows with very different stories, and they all kind of start with that seed of like you know the neighborhood low level uh, superhero who's going to take care of you know the the trouble on the corner, um, but then they go in very different directions with those. Um, so yeah, I was, I was immediately pulled into this and, you know, we, we meet a lot of different kind of characters and personalities just right away and get a sense for how things are, uh, fitting together. Um, in, in, in that really pulled me in and I, I will admit I am like totally illiterate as far as, uh, the, the music, uh, cultural side of things go in general, but especially as represented in this show. So. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm not claiming a great deal of knowledge either, but. Um, I knew enough to get some of the references uh, regarding the music. And then I went back and I started looking up who people were. And it's like, okay, so that's this person. And they, you know, nothing is sort of happened by accident in this show. You know, everything seems to have been very well constructed. And the music is definitely part of that. Um, the other thing that I th- thought was really good was just the the level of acting um and particularly uh, mike coulter as luke cage who i i liked in jessica jones but i think he gets you know a lot more to do here and but also uh simone missick as misty knight and i thought she was like the best thing in it and were you expecting that i i i saw like down the pipe like that she and and he were going to get together and i thought man if only i could be as smooth as luke cage and <laughs> i mean really i i mean let's just be honest i mean to be able to say those kinds of things i mean we're all we all can say things but to say it like luke is just amazing and then to find out that she's going to be a bigger part of the the the, the episodes down the line i was like this is fantastic 
I mean, there's just such a gravity and like you uh, a palpable um, uh, hook. And I've, I've said this. I, I said this in a DM to Don Melton. I said I kind of think this is better than Daredevil season one so far. I mean, this is you know one through three episodes, which that's all I've seen. I I really am am engrossed in it. Yeah, I mean, I might be tempted to agree with that. I mean, it's hard to it's hard to rate the shows because you know it's been so long since I've seen the first season of Daredevil, and it made such an impact at the time. But this, the world seems much more cohesive, and the production values seem higher. I mean, I've seen some people complain that you know the fight scenes and the action scenes in this, there's not as much, and there's not, um, it's not as sort of uh martial arts choreographed but that's obviously not what luke cage is about i, I think that's yeah. also like it's intentional right i mean yeah. you know the the fight scenes are are they're very different because it's he's not a martial artist or someone pretending to be a martial artist right he is indestructible and so like he does not he does not waste time as or energy uh like blocking punches or parrying or dodging he just takes every single hit and then just and just kind of like flings people around or just you know hit, takes them down with kind of one hit and it's you know it it perhaps it's not as a uh, uh kind of artful or uh as uh, evocative as, as these uh elaborately choreographed martial arts but like i think that's a, a, a specific stylistic choice right like he and oh, yeah, and definitely. you know and that's that's an interesting thing looking at other you know we've talked about uh on the uh the, the flash cast about how you know barry allen as the flash is not a, is you know he does not know how to actually fight he's just fast uh you know oliver queen as the green arrow actually knows how to fight uh and i, I think that's a thing here where it's just he is just tough and he is not going to really waste he just kind of wades through people and does what he needs to to get them out of his way uh, but I guess if you're if you're in, you're looking for that like carefully choreographed martial arts sequences, you will be disappointed because uh, it's because it's going to be different. Uh, I mean, it's still the the fights are still choreographed. Yes, and, you know, they're still impressive, but you know, it's not the same kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but the I mean, the other thing is that there's probably from the Marvel shows, this is the show that has the least super heroic. Yeah. in it. Uh, it's more about the story and the background and the characters and everything. And there's like usually one or two things uh, per episode, maybe. But, you know, you can go a good sort of half an hour of just having people talking to each other, um, which. And, and, and big pauses. I yeah. mean, there are yeah. like these like moments where they let the script completely breathe and let the actors act. And that that was for me. It was like, wow, you didn't have to tell me what you're thinking and exposition me out out the yin yang. You you could re, you could let these actors, you know, look at each other and give and emote these things. And I, that for me was really a refreshing take on the superhero TV genre that we have kind of been saturated with. Yeah. And I mean, I also, I liked that this show seemed the most grounded in the real world um, of all the shows. You know, the, it was full of like little, I mean, there was lots of references to other Marvel stuff in there, but it was also uh, real life references, political references, pop culture references. Um, I mean, they, they, I think they mentioned Shaft in like the first episode and, you know, they're talking about um, all sorts of things. Uh, and black it. poets yeah um and you know i know nothing about basketball but you know they will sit and they'll have a five minute discussion about basketball um and yeah i i it's it's a it's a world you know it, it's less comic book Wow, that this that that, that sucked the air right there. <laughs> no, I mean, I, definitely, it's you know, it's it is nice that we don't have a bunch of metahumans r running around. We don't have, uh, you know, mystic ninjas. Uh, you know, there were some people who were commenting that it's you know, so uh, Luke's, uh, I guess, landlord and landlady own a Chinese restaurant on the corner. I, I'm not sure if his apartment's above it or around the corner from it. Uh, and it's like, wow, look, Asian people that are not ninjas. That that's nice. We haven't we haven't seen yeah, that, that yet. 
You know? I didn't even think about that, it's but like, that is true. But there's, there's they're just people. There they're not magic. <laughs> yeah, uh, that you know, that Daredevil uh, unfortunately really uh, kind of doubled down on in season two, right? Um, yeah. yeah. So and, shall we get into individual episodes? Well, sure. I you know I, I think uh, number the first one. I just felt like it was, you know, the call to action of the re- reluctant hero and not understanding why is Luke reluctant to 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 just be, you know, this superhero. You know, you ha- you're granted with this huge amount of ability, but he really doesn't want to be that guy. Well, I mean, it's the standard, you know, with great power comes great responsibility thing. And even down to what happens in the second episode. Um, you know, the, the hero has to start out reluctant and then, uh, you know, a fire is lit under him. Uh, and yeah, I think it, it does, it starts out, you know, we get this sort of the barber shop with Pop, which is the, the sort of central, um, central character really of the, of the show. Uh, everything always comes back to the barber shop, and you know we have uh, just a conversation about basketball, and uh, and Luke Cage is sweeping up in the background, and then he eventually sort of joins in the conversation, and you know it sets up the fact, you know for for a while we don't there's no evidence of uh, powers and stuff, but there's a there's a moment in the back where um he's dropped the phone number for a woman under the washing machine and just sort of picks it up casually to retrieve the number uh but you get the, there's a speech there that that you know pop gives saying that he should be out there helping people rather than sort of hiding himself away and it's clear that he's an ex con on the run uh and you know pop knows this but it doesn't doesn't mind this and but you know thinks that he should be out there doing something and making a difference and of course he's reluctant now the question that the the first episode kind of uh put in my head and i don't know having only seen the first couple if this question has been answered for me yet is where does this where do the events uh in this episode or, or in the series in general take place relative to jessica jones so and I, I'm not sure if I know the answer yet, or and, and I don't know if that's just because I've missed it, or because it's it, it has not been explicitly stated. Because so in, I, in Jessica Jones, he's in, he's in Hell's Kitchen and he or nearby and, and owns a bar, and it's unclear to me if that has happened after the events in Harlem or before the events in Harlem. This, um, I, I think, later on, there's some stuff that will make will okay. line the timelines up a bit more. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I get the impression that this is certainly set after or during the end of daredevil season two okay and i don't know quite where jessica jones lines up on that okay this this is definitely well okay put it this way it's definitely post jessica jones but um exact timelines i'm not sure that's fine i was was curious yeah i i I couldn't figure that out for the life of me but i was okay with but I, i did kind of i was i'm with you tony it's kind of like i just kind of want to know where this fits in because i've i keep hearing about Obviously, this is post Avengers because everybody seems to have mm-hmm. a real bone to pick with Thor. Like everybody keeps mentioning hammers. Mm-hmm. Well, well, suffice to say that there may be characters from other series that might turn up sure. and might shed some light on things. Mm-hmm. And I was um, just curious, yeah. given I mean, so in in jessica jones we 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 learn uh i'll assume maybe not everybody who's watching luke cage's is is watching that but we learned some info about uh luke cage's uh previous romantic relationships and and kind of what what how that's affecting his life and so i was basically not sure is that like is that a part of who he is right now or is because he's you know luke cage is kind of on the run from a lot of things right like he's he's an ex-con uh, we can assume that probably whatever events led to him having superpowers, uh, that there may be complications to his life from that. Uh, and then, you know, he, he has, uh, you know, we do, it is established in the, in this few episodes that he has a, uh, a wife who's no longer with him. Uh, and that like, that's kind of haunting him. Um, 
So I was just trying to unpack, like, how many different things is he on the run from right now? Well, but it's definitely, sort of, it is established he's kind of in the, he's in hiding kind of emotionally and geographically. So We do find out in Jessica Jones what had happened yes. to his wife, mm-hmm. um, at, at least to a certain extent. Um, uh, but the, yes, she will, she will become uh, relevant again. And there's quite a lot of flashbacks and stuff to come. Okay, so. cool. You, you will get backstory and all that. I mean, I find it interesting. They all talk about the the incident, you know, that with the Avengers, which all <laughs> seems to be the alien invasion stuff uh, from the first Avengers movie. But there's never any references to anything after that point. Uh, and I don't understand if it's just, you know, those films weren't as popular or something. But, you know, people talk about, uh, you know, aliens coming down, but they don't talk about robots trying to destroy mm-hmm. the that world. time that we picked up a city and then almost dropped it. You know, yeah. yeah. Well, l- um, like most Americans, or, yeah. If it ha- if it doesn't happen in America, yeah. it's it <laughs> happens somewhere else. Yeah, yeah. I, but I mean, there's the there's the guy on the street corner who's selling you know Blu-rays, high quality Blu-rays of the Avengers, except it's the actual Avengers um, in action. Yeah, uh, which I thought was a nice touch. No, no one here cares about what's happening in Latveria. Latveria for the Latverians. They're they're not interested. So <laughs> they have local concerns. Um, Big time. But we find out that oh, I apologize for the telephone. We can cut this out in a second. Uh, okay. they, they they caught you. You were talking. <laughs> yeah. Too much. Um, I, I've said too much about future episodes. Um, okay, going back into it. So, yeah, I mean, we, we find out uh, pretty quickly that uh, Luke Cage has lots of jobs. And so he, after he's finished sweeping up in the, in the barbershop, he's off to his next job, which is as a dishwasher in the Harlem's Paradise Club. Uh, and he's very quickly, after he's started his dishwashing, he's told to put on a, a suit and tie because one of the bartenders is down. and. He's needed on the bar. Where we meet Cornell Stokes, who yeah. could easily be the one, of the one of the greatest bad guys I've seen in a long time. He's got swagger, uh, like it's going out of style. Yeah, and we also meet, um, I think soon after this point, his cousin, uh, uh, Mariah Dillard, who's a sort of local councilwoman politician who's clearly trying to do the right thing for Harlem but going about it the wrong way <laughs> and uh has I, I think they say at this point that she's basically she's paid out of the campaign donations to have this club done up um for her cousin I was a little. I'm a little confused so far uh, in the, in the first episode about because uh, we do we meet a lot of characters and we meet some of the uh, or at least pe- references are made to some of the other uh, uh, professional criminals that uh, Stokes is is working with uh, or making deals with. Uh, I was a little confused in the first few episodes about exactly and again maybe I don't need to know, but the exactly the financial relationship between uh, Stokes and Dillard in terms of like who is funding who. Um, but I guess we 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 kind of learn, you know, that there's Stokes is is shown as this kind of like impressive villain, uh, but he's still he's got limitations in terms of you know he's not the top of the criminal empire. He's got people that he, uh, you know, owes money or favors to or is subservient to. Uh, but then there are people that he's trying to push around who are more on more on his level. But I was a little confused about like because because there was the idea that. Uh, uh, Maria Dillard helped him with his fancy restaurant, but then he also seems to have a ton of money from all his illegal operations that he's funneling to her. Um, so I was a little confused who was, but I guess it's but, the idea is they are a partnership. Uh, but, and, but he's very tight with his money. He's, yeah. he's, if, if he loses any, it becomes problematic for both of them. Mm-hmm. Well, I got the impression that she had sort of borrowed money she shouldn't have yeah. given it to him and needed it back sharpish mm-hmm. before anybody noticed that mm-hmm. it was gone. Um, but in the, in the bar, we also have, uh, so Lucas tending bar and this mysterious, uh, woman appears, um, well, she, she wants a drink and, uh, she seems far more interested in what's going up on the balcony above them, uh, watching what's happening with Cottonmouth. But eventually, um, 
she and Luke start flirting with each other. Um, meanwhile, we cut uh, upstairs and there's talk of the, there's a gun deal uh, that's going to be done between the Domingo, who's the, the, the head of one of the other crime families, and uh, Cottonmouth. Uh, incidentally, it took me a while to work out that both Cottonmouth and Diamondback are both types of snakes. Which I did oh, not I realize. totally missed that, but I know that well, makes see, sense because as soon as I heard Cottonmouth and Diamondback, and then I believe there was one more, I was like, "Whoa, whoa, 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 whoa! This is the Serpent Society," and I wasn't, I was not expecting that at all. Now, if you don't know anything about the Serpent Society, they all kind of look like snakes and they dress in snaky attire, <laughs> and I thought to myself, uh, "How are they going to pull this one off?" And it seems as though this is a retooling of the Serpent Society. And so I don't believe we're going to see any... Um, snake people. Yeah, well, snake costumes. Mm-hmm. And it, but it's, I was really excited because the depiction of Cottonmouth that I've seen is really, really cool, but I wasn't willing to accept having Cornell in that suit. It just kind of wouldn't be... <laughs> It, 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 would have, it would have taken me out of it. Well, I cannot confirm or deny anything that happens in future episodes okay. because I've been told not to. But um, eh, there may be some silly suits, but not what you're expecting. Anyway. Uh, so we've got... The, there's also a reference to Justin Hammer, like the guns yes. yep. made by him. It's my uh, bird. From, it's my bird. From... Uh, was the second Iron Man film? Yes. yes. Does yeah. he? I think he has a cameo later ones, but that's the main one that he's in. Yeah, as the less less scrupulous than Tony Stark arms dealer. So yeah, I think it's now that Tony Stark's out of the arms business, all, all bad guy arms have to be um, from Justin Hammer. But yeah, so we have this gun deal, which we cut to the gun deal. They're already they're celebrating, they're having their champagne uh, at the club before the gun deal's actually gone down. And uh, I think as Domingo says, you know, we don't celebrate until these things are over. And they're like, ah, what could possibly go wrong? And well, you have an inside job that kills everybody, bang, bang, bang. And all your money that you were going to spend on this operation is now gone. Yeah, we have Shamik, Dante, and Chico. Uh, Dante gets iced pretty quickly. And uh, Chico and Shamik split the money uh, and run off. Uh, yeah, so then we cut back uh, to more uh, flirting at the bar um, between uh, Misty and Luke. And you know, he says that he, he thought that she might be one of his, but, you know, she looks a bit too old. And she replies, you know, you're definitely not getting a tip tonight, <laughs> which I liked. Um, but he uh, but is then- able to come out of those those types of situations flawlessly yes he, he's he like i don't very... like girls i like women yes he says i ponder a woman he's very poetic mm-hmm. um and indeed this uh has the desired uh result um but yeah dante is not quite dead and manages to snitch on chico and shamik and uh i think we're we're outside and we have uh misty and luke on the street and and he's like do you want to go and grab a coffee and they're all like, well, I don't like coffee. I don't like coffee either. Um, so we, we, we cut to coffee time. Um, and then in the morning, uh, he's like, oh, so what is it you do? And she's like, oh, I'm, I'm an auditor. Um, and then I think it's the, literally the next scene. We're at the crime scene of the, the shootout, the, the gun deal, where we have Detective Scarf. Um, and uh, as it turns out, his partner, Detective uh, Mercedes Knight, uh, who is Misty, and she was unsurprisingly lying, and she's not an auditor, she is a police detective. And a very good police detective. She has this uh, kind of amazing ability to piece together the crime scene that... Um, it, yeah, did, did anybody do any research on Misty Knight? Because this, this character eludes me a little bit. I know, I, I've seen images of her... I think, and I know that she has like a bionic yeah, arm. Yeah, she gets a robot arm later. Yeah. yeah, Tony Stark makes her an arm at one point. As you do. Um, so, yeah. you know. Sure, sure. Yeah. It's the Avengers does, healthcare does she plan. Have any, does she have any abilities 
no, I, I think of her more as just like a know, martial artist, but I th- you know, super I fighter. Think she, I think she's just, uh, in, in this anyway, she's a sort of, you know, Sherlock. She has a Sherlock mind palace where she can visualize what's going on with a crime scene by looking at all the photos and putting all the details together in her head. But I, I think it's just a representation of her, you know, uh, intuitive uh, detecting skills rather than any actual sort of metahuman abilities. Well, that's a nice thing that you can rely on your own, you know, cognitive abilities. You don't have to be supered to, to do these. But Frank Whaley, who plays her partner, Scarf, that guy is in everything. I was just like, well, wow, this guy's in here. Did you catch that? Because he's Brett in Pulp Fiction, who's the one that um, Samuel L. Jackson eats his burger and, and shoots That's him. right. That's um, right. But did you catch there was a, a Pulp Fiction reference? Um, I think. I'm not sure which episode. It was one of these three um, uh, where, you know, in, in Pulp Fiction, he says something like, I'm sorry, did I break your concentration or something? And she turns to him at one point, um, Scarf, and says, you broke my concentration. So I, I don't think that's a coincidence. And there was also references to there was references to Quentin Tarantino and there was things. I remember uh, that yes 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 the this this is the super important for Tony who comes on the scene Tony Theo Rossi Shades Alvarez who is not a employee of Stokes but an employee of Stokes's uh, supplier Diamondback so that makes for the kind of interesting thing where we've got this other uh criminal associate hanging around who is not who who's kind of working with stokes but maybe not working 100 percent for him uh slash maybe keeping tabs on him uh also you know theo rossi that's great so um and we haven't seen him since sons of anarchy nope which was really nice and i i may be jumping ahead in the episodes that we've covered uh but at some point uh he walks through a room where luke cage is like washing dishes and uh Luke Cage gets like a like a little flashback to him having been in prison with Shades, uh, but Shades does not recognize Luke Cage. So, yeah, yeah. So more more to Shades to learn, I guess. So, yeah, and and we know virtually nothing about Diamondback at this point. He's just a, just a name. Um, I think the end the end of the the episode we have Zip and the gang shaking down the Chinese restaurant. Um, and Luke appears at the end and he's like, don't do this. And uh, somebody punches uh, Luke so hard that the bone comes out of their wrist. Uh, which was... See, now let's just talk about superpowers for just a moment. Where does Luke Cage fall on the spectrum? Because I, I, I get this feeling like he's got... He's almost Superman level of toughness without the the flight and without like actual like me can't breathe and do eye beams but it's kind of like he's got superman skin he does seem i mean basically indestructible right and there's even i think there's a mention i think is it pops is talking to him in the first episode where he references um i guess does that is, is he referencing something that happened to Jessica Jones? I should have figured that out. He talks about getting like a shotgun blast to like you know his under the chin and like how that gives him basically headaches, um, you know. But but that he's obviously fine because his skin is just unbreakable. Yeah, um, he is very tough, but I wouldn't say he's Superman level tough. Mm-hmm. And he's also he's very strong, but. I don't know. There, some of it is just they're more subtle with it, right? Like he picks up a washing machine. He does rip uh, uh, in, in jumping ahead. He rips a car door off of a car, and uh, and so he is extremely strong. Um, but it does seem to be that his his indestructibility is kind of his his main feature. Uh, and you know that that's a whole thing that you can get into with which which superhero is stronger than which, and it gets complicated. And there's turns out they're not always consistent. And you know sometimes Thor has a cold, and so he's not as tough as the Hulk, and sometimes he is. And the, the, the Hulk is tougher. I, and, I'm sure you know. Yeah, I'm sure there's a website somewhere that will show you exactly where Luke Cage is on the yeah spectrum on an on an powers. arbitrary uh, you know ten point yeah. scale. Um, yeah, but. Uh, uh, keep watching the series is all I can say on this front. Uh, 
But yeah, Luke protects them and uh, they say, we'd like to hire you. And he goes, I'm not for hire, referencing the Heroes for Hire comics. Uh, but he says, but I've got you. And and he says, you know, I, I'm going to protect you. So he, he sort of walks out, puts his hoodie up, and it's clear that he's he's on the path to doing slightly more than just sort of sitting back as he's and keeping out of trouble. I think what I liked a lot is that he was willing to not wear a mask and go toe to toe with these guys. And clearly they have seen him. I mean, it it really should have carried forward, but I guess, you know, there are so many people in New York, but it was just amazing to me to have that level of kind of honesty. We've got the, so the second episode starts and we've got a flash forward. Uh, so we've got Luke with a gun to the back of his head and he's like, I've had a very bad day. Uh, and then we, we go back and we find out how bad his day has been, which is pretty bad. The, the setup to these episodes are really pretty cool that they're showing you the end of the episode and like, then we're going to go ahead and dial it back. Here, here we go again. Um, and there's something in here that I found to be kind of, when, when you have the, this isn't a black exploitation. However, they do touch on some pretty significant uh, race relations, with, and especially using the word nigger. And yeah. I thought this was really kind of a pivotal moment, like where you, it, it could have gone where everybody was really, their language could have been like pretty horrifying for most viewers. And they really dial it back and kind of put people on, look, this, this is not, not the word that you're going to use. And do you even know what we're trying to do here? And yeah. I, was, I was really pleased with that. Yeah, I mean, the, the, they touch on a, on, on a number of sort of, uh, th- there was a reference to Black Lives Matter in the previous episode. And there's, there's a lot of stuff. I mean, it should be pointed out that, you know, we're sort of a bunch of white guys talking about True. Luke Cage. Yep, um, yep. <laughs> and, you know, there are going to be things in this that do not resonate with us as much as they might resonate with other people. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I can only look at it in terms of I really like it as a TV show. But, you know, there's going to be things that matter an awful lot more mm-hmm. um and to my uh inexpert eye they seem to be doing a really good job well apparently it was it was it's like fourth right now on network on uh, netflix streaming um just under orange is the new black and daredevil season two yeah i'll be int- I, I haven't read uh much yet because uh, i think it's, it just came out and we'll probably see more in the next week or so uh it will be interesting i think to see some of the analysis of this again you know three white dudes talking about luke cage because uh, because there is a lot going on in here uh with language and with symbolism and with how violence is depicted uh you know, there are there are already, and these, this is totally not a, a view that I, I agree with, and it's in fact I think it's offensive. But there are people who basically say this show is racist because it doesn't have any white people on it. It's like that's not how that works. Uh, wow, yeah, are you I'm, kidding? Me? I mean, I yeah, there. That. I mean, that's that's coming from uh, like a super hateful place. Uh huh. I mean, I think there are people called who are, Twitter. <laughs> well, yeah, a specific a specific dark alley on it anyway. Uh, okay. There are people who are, uh, you know. I mean, the Luke Cage character does come from this this era of of black exploitation, and and what does that mean? Uh, and you know, the fact that I mean, it's our, a lot of superheroes come from this like they're incredibly tough and uh, indestructible. But you know, w- what does it mean when you have a a black character that is you know hyper masculine and, and and really tough? And is that what we have in the show, or is that just where the the comic book origins come from? Uh, you know, there's discussion about the fact that, you know, Luke Cage walking around in a hoodie is probably like an intentional, uh, in- intentional choice. Um, and, and also people have talked about like, what does it mean when you have a character who is, you know, a bulletproof black man? Uh, and like, 
you know, some people think that that is problematic because you have this character that is depicted getting shot over and over again. Uh, and some people think that it transcends that. And I don't know, it'll be interesting, I think, as people have more time to digest it and to, to write about that. Uh, I have already seen some some pretty interesting discussions on Facebook and Twitter about that because uh, there are some people who think it's great and there are some people who are uncomfortable with that. Uh, the people who think Luke Cage is racist because there's no white characters or not enough white characters. Yeah, yeah, they're wrong. Um, so, yeah. Good luck with that. Um. <laughs> Three white guys say so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so we start out again. We've got Misty looking at a crime scene and trying to d- figure out what's what's gone on. And uh, we have Luke and Pop discussing black heroes and crime fiction and a variety of other, you know, authors and stuff. Um, and talking about how you know the, the the barbershop has always been Switzerland. It's neutral and all this, and it's always been grand where people can come and you know sort of air their grievances in a safe environment. And uh, pop and pop has Luke, pop has history. Yeah. Um. We have. I think, do we get that yet? Where we we have the flashback to the younger pop? I think that might be. Um, I think that's later in this episode. Uh, but we've got. He asks Luke where he's from, and he's like, "Oh, I'm from Chicago or something." And he's like, "No, where are you really from?" And I think he says Georgia. Uh, yeah. And he's like, yeah. "Ah, you're a country boy." And he sort of explains that you know in Harlem you can you can kind of taste the 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 violence and the the mood of things as it and he gets the sense that something's happening um pop is a great character in carrying the narrative further and also giving us this 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 feel of that harlem is kind of alive and breathing and and Mm -hmm. can be you you can you can get a read on all of harlem and he just that actor is just superb yeah, I I did. Yeah. I felt kind of bad because I knew, like, someone close to Luke Cage has to die <laughs> or be horribly hurt. Uh, yeah, to pull him from the reluctant hero into uh, into the action. So like, like my I was like, it's either gonna be him or it's either gonna be Pops or the kid from from the get go. <laughs> so I, I I definitely appreciated uh, Pops. I thought he was a great character and he, he has a lot of great scenes. But I'm also like not getting too attached to this guy. <laughs> So, yeah, I mean it's standard hero. Yeah, it's you know, needs to die. Yeah, um, just always but, you know when somebody runs past you with a, a you know who just robbed the place where you did a wrestling, always trip that guy. That's what I'm saying, people. Yeah. So like, <laughs> well, so and Pop enlists Luke mm-hmm. because apparently we get this i this kind of uh little bit of a, a theme drop that Luke can go and find people like he somehow used to do this and doesn't do it anymore um but you could he can go and find chico because chico's the the one that that has survived this um this raid um on cottonmouth's money the other one uh decided that he was going to go see strippers and he got pinched yeah and killed but we we had uh cottonmouth and shades turn up at the barber shop and cottonmouth wants a shave and Luke is sort of initially very kind of hesitant for Shades to see him for reasons currently unknown and uh, eventually comes out and does say things. Uh, but it's clear that they're not just there for a shave. They're, they're looking for this, for Chico. And Cottonmouth is about to walk out without paying. And uh, Luke says, you know, points to the, mm-hmm. the, the list of names who are up there who get a free... Uh, a free haircut and he's not on the list um i can't remember who the li- the list was but it was like basketball players and um richard roundtree aka shaft yeah and uh, uh an extremely famous actor whose name has currently escaped me uh but yeah so pop wants luke to go and find chico and basically says you know he owes him because he kept his secrets, so he's calling in the favor, and he has to go do it. Uh, and then we have a great scene with Misty on the basketball court, 
she's also looking for Chico and uh she challenges one of the the young punks for uh you know if uh she beats him in, in this particular game then they have to spill the beans and after she sinks like the first uh, uh basket perfectly she points out that not only is is Chico's initials are on the court her initials are on the court as well because this was her court um and we have uh, Luke looking for Chico on the streets and stuff as well and, and sort of going door to door and showing people photos uh and he does eventually find him and uh he's not he he's obviously remorseful to a certain extent but he says no I'm I'm not coming in I'm not going to do this because I think he thinks that he's just going to be killed and he doesn't want to parley. And so at this point, we have the flashback to uh, Pop and Cottonmouth back in the day. And Pop has his name from the sound it makes when his fist, you know, knocks somebody out. Snap, crackle, pop. Now, real quick, did did anybody else buy into this uh, that they were buddies back in the day? Uh, I thought it was conceivable i mean i think that's why you know pop was left alone to a certain extent uh because he went and he did 10 years in prison uh, okay he said he he did he did the 10 years in prison and he didn't snitch on anybody and he came out a changed man so they said you know he's okay i think that was the I think it also fits with, like, the idea of, you know, I mean, New York City is this huge place, but you do have these, like, tight-knit neighborhoods, right, where everyone who's uh, been there and been around, like, they're all connected in some way, right? Like, you know, you're you're somebody's sibling that you went to school with, and you, you know, we were, I knew you when we were growing up, or we used to work together 15 years ago. So it, I think it definitely establishes that kind of very insular neighborhood uh, kind of village within a giant city. Um kind of story that 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 works for me i think that's that's i'm fine with that and there's a um chico does eventually turn up in the back of the shop and we have turk who we've had from daredevil back in the day oh my gosh this was great uh he's sitting there playing chess with bobby fish at the front of the shop and then uh he spots him and of course he immediately snitches uh, on this (laughs) I, I will admit, I totally forgot who that character was. So I was like, clearly this person, and he later has it in interchange with Misty, and I was like, okay, this this is someone who I'm supposed to remember, and I went and read the Wikipedia page, but it's like, yeah, I have no recollection of this character from Daredevil. So that's on me, I guess, since he, since you guys you guys remembered who it was. So, Well, I think he was, um, the last thing we saw was in Daredevil Season 2, where he was uh, selling guns out the back of a car. And um, gets banged up by Daredevil for that, and then says, "I'm going to get out of here. I'm going to go somewhere safe." And I think you know, he goes <laughs> yeah, down. Yeah, you to- all are crazy over here, and I'm I'm out. <laughs> and mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Tone does uh, thinks that he's doing the right thing and going after and just throwing bullets around. And it's interesting, Shade's character, like. I, I'm sorry, but I'm, I always think of him as Juice from Sons of Anarchy, but he does these, um, Theo Rossi does these great faces of, well, that's not exactly what happened. I mean, in acting as almost consigliere mm-hmm. uh, in some ways. And I, I, I thought I was, uh, you know, he does all his acting from behind those sunglasses, which is also pretty good because that seems a little <laughs> yes. limiting in terms of the range of, of a character. And it's fine if you're going to have just a guy who's a thug, but... He has this more complicated role where he is, you know, yeah, he is kind of a mediator um, and he's he's there to keep tabs on things. Um, but yeah, so we have this this conflict where basically uh, the question is, who's who's going to get uh, Chico and how? And, you know, uh, Stokes is making plans, but uh, his his lieutenant or not lieutenant, but his his guy Tone makes his own plans to try and, I guess, get the I don't know, get the glory or get it taken care of right away. Uh, and that turns out that's not so great <laughs> for him yeah. uh, or for the neighborhood or for pops. Yeah. Unsurprisingly, by spraying the whole barber shop with twin machine guns, uh, yeah, pops gets one in the neck and uh, Chico isn't even uh, killed. Uh, and 
yeah, it it doesn't go well, uh, and the, the shop is indeed trashed as as well. So he he goes back. Uh, well, first of all, we have we have Misty turns up, uh, and she's looking at the bullet holes in in Luke's shirt, and is starting to. Sort yeah, of- d- d- it seems to me maybe maybe I'm wrong, but like if you see holes in a guy's shirt, you're clearly saying to yourself, "Wait a minute, this isn't right," but. She doesn't. She kind of glosses over that. Maybe it's the blood. Maybe it's the amount of bodies that are that are actually down. Yeah, I mean, for somebody who's extremely uh, vigilant in her detective work, it. Yeah, I, I would have possibly questioned slightly more on that, but yeah. Um, but uh, we we cut back to the um, the I think it's the roof of the of the club and tone. Uh, ends up having a very short journey back down to the ground floor after it is revealed that because uh, um, Cottonmouth is like, ah, well, it's okay. You know, we'll sort of, we'll pay for the, the barbershop to be repaired and Pops will be fine with it. It's okay. And they're like, ah, well, about that. Uh, yeah. So he gets chucked off the roof. And uh, I think, I don't know if it's at this point, Turk says something like, you know, you guys are crazy. I'm going to go back to um, Hell's Kitchen. Uh, but yeah, we then come back to the beginning of the episode again, and we've got the the gun to his head, and he he gives the speech about you know uh, we're you know opposite this sort of historic uh, location, and why are you doing this thing, and all that, and he he basically encourages the guy to shoot him, and then when he doesn't, he shoots himself to demonstrate yeah. that he's bulletproof. Yeah, was anybody else expecting maybe him just to shoot himself in the head? I, I don't know. Like, it just seemed weird. I I remember in Jessica Jones, Luke seems to like to do things to his belly. Uh, I know he took, like, a circular saw blade to his belly to prove uh, the, about his tough skin. And I just, it was weird. I just wasn't expecting him just to pull his shirt up and shoot himself in the belly. Yeah, I mean, it, it's effective because the guy just turns and runs. Um, but. You know, you have to be careful of ricochets as well, I would have thought. Let's move on to episode three and our feelings on this one, because this one really seems to put the whole narrative into motion, I'm assuming. Yeah, I mean, th- this, there's a lot happens in this one, mm-hmm. and it steps things up several several notches. Um, so we've got the... Uh, yeah, we, we start out and you, there's clearly there's a big battle going on inside Mariah's offices and, you know, there's gunfire and then a large sofa flies out the window and we see Luke, or we assume Luke, walking away um, with a with a, a bag and then we credits uh, and uh, we go back in time and we have, yeah, well, we've got the... Luke at the funeral home looking for caskets for pop and you know they're clearly they're going for very elaborate gold inlaid and he's not got the money and Cottonmouth turns up and says yeah this is all covered and they have a sort of the start of a sort of the antagonism I guess between them Um, and yeah, uh, Luke goes back and decides, goes back to the barber shop, and Bobby Fish says, well, we're going to need, like, you know, 80,000 pounds to keep this <laughs> that's not place what's... open. <laughs> well, and, this is, and this is America. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's all it takes. And, well, the, the, I, I think they're, they're couple... about worth the same at this point anyway. Yeah, so. the 80,000, and, uh, well, first of all, I love that Fish is... I forget what his name is in um, Internet will explain it to me in Mr. Robot, who I I mean, I just I I love that character. But the idea that, look, this is how things work. As long as we can pay the bills, no one will question anything. Mm -hmm. This is just the way it works. And just all we need is that money and we can pay bills. We'll be fine. So you think, Luke, are you going to go on the straight and narrow here? Or, or, you know, you're going to kind of use your skills to potentially maybe do some slightly gray area, uh, street level hero, hero, heroic natures. 
Yeah, and uh, he's definitely going to go on the... He's going to make Cottonmouth pay, but he's going to do it in a slightly oblique fashion. Mm -hmm. And he decides that, you know, the best plan is... I think he talks to uh, Chico at one point, and he's trying to find out exactly where the, the cash is being held. And he says, you know, well, there's all these places... Uh, Chica says there's all these places around uh, the neighborhood, but there is a plan that, you know, if bad stuff happens, all the money will be moved into one location. I was like, okay. So he starts uh, going around and hitting the smaller locations. Um, You know, he he takes out a couple of safe houses and uh, leaves all the money for the police to find. And then, obviously, they start reinforcing the... um, Mariah's headquarters, otherwise known as Fort Knox. Well, yeah, I thought this was kind of a cool, you know, it, we've seen this kind of kind of before. It's like you do these little sporadic um, hits and it, there's a game and it's a chess move and it's clearly shown and diagrammed out uh, with fish. Um, I'm going to hit them a couple different places. All the money's going to go into one central location, and then blammo, I've got him. <laughs> yeah, and specifically, he doesn't. He doesn't. He needs some money to keep things going, but it's more about denying because uh, he just takes the one bag, and then you have the the police have to carry all the other bags into the evidence room uh, for, from what he leaves behind uh, because that that lets him. It takes care of two problems, or at least it starts on one of them in terms of getting his uh, his vengeance on Stokes, but also taking care of his short term financial issues. Um, but it also, um, Cottonmouth is convinced that Domingo is behind yes. all these hits, mm-hmm. and so they have a, they have a sort of face off where he uh, shows his displeasure by littering. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was a pretty intense scene too, and we had the I, I thought they played it pretty well considering like they they have the the vast height dis, uh, discrepancy between them right like, uh, you know great eyes tony great yeah, eyes i mean i think yeah. domingo still comes off as legitimately intimidating even though he's looks like he's maybe close to a foot shorter than uh, than than cottonmouth yes. um and i think that you know that was clearly set up intentionally um but i think that that worked pretty well um yeah so um you know basically they've declared war against each other which helps luke as well to a certain extent Mm-hmm. All right, um, so th- there's a pretty big twist in here, and I have to say it was surprising to me. I wasn't expecting the bad cop, Misty's partner, to turn. I, I, I was. So I was. Be- Go on. I was gonna. I when he started taking his tie off, I was like, "You don't take your tie off unless you're gonna kill someone." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah um, no, but but even before that, he was just kind of like they were having that conversation um sort of earlier in the episode about you know sort of the vigilantes and you know mm-hmm. the, the the back and forth and stuff and he seemed like a a, a pragmatic figure perhaps there's also just I, the uh the 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 trope in in uh in fiction where you know like when a cop gives you food it's 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 a last meal situation is what it's, it's oh, always gonna be yeah, yeah it's yeah. he's eating his french fries and he's taking off his tie and it's like that's it's not gonna go well buddy um, and and chico was so like uplifted because he was like you know luke cage yeah you know, he he he's changed me he's 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 given me a reason to it look like he do might the right get thing. and you know and he's this this kid right and we want him to get out right and it it he doesn't he can't get out um no yeah but but yeah we I mean we have the the big scene like going back to the beginning of the episode but seen from the inside which is kind of a bit like their attempt on a a daredevil corridor fight level of yes um i, I thought so too and then well, first of all, you could see the cuts, um, yeah. and that I was willing to let that wash over me and, and say, "This is Luke. I'll go ahead and accept whatever he brings." Yeah, um, and he just walks through that thing calm as anything, uh, with the bullets flying, and with, I think with comes a across- great needle drop for Wu Tang Clan. Yeah, uh, yeah, it was awesome and bringing the ruckus. Yeah. Um, there is some heavy Wu-Tang Clan throughout the, the rest of the series, you will find out. Um, 
and and yeah, and, and that's a that's a really great scene. Uh, and then it it shows him sort of picking up the sofa and sort of like knocking over half of the men with the with this thing before throwing it out the window. And then you see the 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 shot as it was from the the beginning of the episode of him walking out with his with his one bag full of money, which is all he all he all he needed. You know, he didn't need the seven million or whatever it was. He just needed his eighty thousand to keep the the barber shop going. Uh, yeah, and so we we've got the pig on the payroll as well. That's right. Uh, which is like. I would I thought was going to be the main shock of the episode before the credits rolled. But no, we have right. one more thing. <laughs> so, he he has been keeping uh a tabs on uh Misty. And I think at this point they've discussed the fact that uh, you know, she shared some coffee with him. Uh so he's got the uh, GPS coordinates for Luke's apartment. I mean, I don't know why he couldn't just like look it up in the phone book or something, but you know, he he's tracked her and he has the GPS coordinates. He's an ex-con with a secret name. He's unlisted. <laughs> so, yeah. Absolutely. But but so what? he goes and uh I think he he goes to the uh, the club and sort of says, "Well, you know, this is what's going on and this is the one man who's been giving you all, all the problems, Luke Cage." So Luke Cage goes back and he delivers a bag of money to Bobby Fish at the barbershop to rebuild. And then he takes some more of the money to Connie, um, which is going to come in very handy for some rebuilding. Because um, as he's talking to her, uh, we see uh, Cottonmouth on a roof opposite with a... Stinger missile. Yeah, a rocket propelled grenade or, or at least some fairly sizable um ordinance which he I, I like the fact i like the fact that cottonmouth still still has a sense of style and it has his vest and tie on as he's firing this rocket and just let's put that out there yeah and, and he does it himself he doesn't have one of his mates. i i was a little surprised that he did it himself and i guess that's uh you know i was struggling a little bit with where is uh, where is he in the the criminal hierarchy um just because I, I i thought at first he was you know this kind of top crime boss and you figure he'd delegate everything and kind of not get his own hands dirty, but either that's not where he is in the hierarchy or that's not his style. Um, because I, yeah, I think cause the- going and shooting a, a, you know, an RPG into, into a, a Chinese restaurant is like, you know, that's getting your hands dirty. Right. Um, yeah, I, I think it, it's, it's starting a war. He, you're, you're ready to war. Yeah. Luke Cage, you know, as far as he was concerned, you know, Luke Cage, uh, hurt him. So he's going to hurt him back. And yeah, he, he he fires this in, and as as you see the building start to collapse, it goes black, and we get we get our credits. Well, I you know the the explosion itself, I, I just wanted to kind of like to see where their budget was because it did at first look kind of phony baloney, you know, it's typical you know composited explosion, and mm. then you see the building actually start to collapse, which I kind of was like. Ooh, they they've got a budget on this show for sure. Yeah, I mean there's not they're not spending there's not a lot of effect shots apart from I guess in the fights and stuff. I mean there's probably like all of these shows there's probably hundreds of invisible effect shots because they're you know removing large sections of city and things like that. But um but yeah, the, so the, I would agree with you the the initial explosion didn't look but uh, hey, I, I was quite prepared to to believe it. This is a this is a TV show, and you know, with a, a reasonably good budget. So I guess we we hated all three episodes, and we didn't want to watch any more of them at the, at that point. This cliffhanger really was pretty dull. Um, so that 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 would be, be the end of Luke Cage, correct? No. So I immediately, because I was not going to stop there, you know, I had to put on episode four at that point. Uh, we need to find out what happens. I mean, I didn't think that they were going to kill him, but, um, or that he would spend the entire rest of the 13 episodes under, you know, tons of rubble. But, but no, I think as an, as an episode to sort of, once you've like watched that first block, you've had the first two, which kind of build up very slowly, and then in this one we have, you know, a number of shocks and stakes are 
definitely raised. I mean, we're only at episode three, and we've got rocket-propelled grenades. That's right. Tony, what, what are your, what are your uh, kind of summation thoughts? Uh, I, I think this show is great, really pulled in. Uh, I'm thinking that they, they've dropped a couple seeds with the flashbacks, uh, but what I am hoping that we'll, there'll be even more in the next couple episodes um, is more uh, filling in of what Luke Cage's origins are and the origins of some of these other characters. I appreciated that we jumped right in with episode one and that they didn't like, they didn't do the like obligatory Spider-Man thing where it's like the first hour of the movie is, you know, watching a guy get bit by a spider. Uh, <laughs> so uh, I, it, it, I like that. It, it leaves me wanting to know more, um, but without having necessarily have to do that formulaic, like let's show you the origin story. And now let's start the actual story that we want to tell. I like that. It's like, let's tell the actual story. And whatever his origins are, maybe will be told through flashback or him telling it to other people. You, so, you may indeed get your wish yeah. quite, quite soon. All right. No spoilers. I do, I do have one Easter egg that, I, that, I, that I've found on the internet, um, which is all the titles of these episodes are mm. kind of paying homage to um, Gangstar, um, who was uh, um, kind of one of the premier East Coast rappers. Uh, who died in 2006. And I found out from Jason Snell that the showrunner um, was very, very deep into uh, rap journalism at a very clutch time between, um, I, I want to say, like something like 98 to uh, 2009, something like that. But um, so it, there's, there's, there, there's definitely um, the musicality is not just filler it is meant to be there it's 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 permeating and percolating through the whole thing as as a as a homage to his east coast representation one of the things that i saw just as a, as a silly piece of trivia is i didn't realize nicholas cage who's actually he's a coppola um he named himself cage after luke cage um, because wow. he needed a stage name. I so did not know that. He was... Cl- I mean, I read this on the internet, so it has to be true. Indeed. Um, yes. Yes. But, but yes. Uh, so, Nicholas Luke Cage. I like, I like that. <laughs> oh, I had one other late-breaking piece of news. Um, just confirming, Mose, a theory that we had when we were watching Daredevil last season. Uh the Punisher standalone show is filming right now, and as we suspected, Karen Page is going to be in it. Yes. <laughs> News break. Um. So yeah. So I think they will have a very good. Um. Well, we saw the charisma between the two of them. Uh. From from Daredevil, but I think that that's an excellent decision. Oh, that's good. Right. This is this is all good news for for Netflix Marvel. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> gentlemen, this has been a very insightful first three, and I hope people get something out of it. And if you're not watching Luke Cage, shame on you. Uh, but I think you probably are, and you know who you are. That's, especially if you just listen to us talk about it for like an hour. Yeah, so. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> that that that's the worst way you could spend your time, basically. <laughs> I just like listening to podcasts about shows that I don't have the time to watch. So, you know, yeah. um, <laughs> they, we, we summed up, you know, three hours worth in an hour and a half. So, you know, somebody's winning. I, mm, That's right. Very efficient, but not the best with experience. So, yeah. <laughs> well, this was great. Uh, perhaps we'll, we'll be back in, uh, back in the neighborhood to uh, talk about some of the more episodes later on. So, yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm going back up to hell's kitchen where it's safe. <laughs> It's all relative. There's ninjas there. <laughs> so True. And big holes in the ground. Yeah. Problematic. Alright, gents. Alright. Forward. Always. Always forward. <laughs>